What's up, church planners, pastors, and disciple makers? My name is Jared Huntley, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I'm with my good friend Logan Douglas, who's coming to you from Reykjavik, Iceland. You are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by ordinary church planters that exists to encourage and equip other church planters and pastors to make disciples in hard places. Logan, what is going on, my friend? How are you? I'm doing well, Jared. I'm doing well. It's um, It's been a quick, I think in one of our last podcast or last two podcasts i talked about winter being here and it's here oh is it Uh, we have oh yeah we have snow-capped mountains or at least frost and we had uh, hail the other day i think two bits of hailstorm and so uh can see can see your breath when you walk out early in the morning and I mean, Iceland doesn't play. Doesn't play. Here it is. Yeah. It's like, let's, yeah. let's see, it's September 23rd right now as we're talking. So, yeah. You know, it was even a little bit like unusually cold the last few days here in the D.C. area. And, you know, we were just talking before we started recording. Uh, Jen and I went to Ocean City, Maryland to the beach because we we're thinking, you know, like Jen's been wanting to go to the beach all summer and finally took her to the beach. And what is it? Well, it's like 61 degrees and cloudy and the wind's blowing like 40 mile an hour. And it was, yeah, not pleasant at all on the beach. Like literally like the, the sand was st- what hurt it was stinging your face as it was blowing on you and so uh we did have like an ocean view room so we just kind of hung out on the balcony a lot more and um so yeah it's been it's interesting how chilly it got so early in the year here yeah yeah well and i was literally just thinking this as i was answering your question why do we default to like how are you and we talk about interpret the that to the weather um, because it's just I, I, I don't know. I mean, should we talk <laughs> like, about something about more? This? Yeah, I, you're right. We, and we've done that before on this podcast. So let's just start diving straight into to deep things in our yeah. life. You know, like I'm Logan. How am I? I'm feeling insecure because I ate way, way too much food. Um, mm. And I, yeah, yeah, I just ate way too much food on my vacation. So I'm feeling insecure. There. Yeah. Is that deep enough for you? No, is that good? good. Let's um, do this. Let's just I'm, dive right in. I, and I'm going <laughs> through an identity crisis. Okay. Um, where for the majority of my adult life, my identity was wrapped in this. I'm the guy who always has the right answer and who has it quickly. I'm the guy who can solve the problem quickly. And I'm the guy who can get it done. Um, so I, I, I've risen through the ranks both in the military, but also in civilian world. Um, I have all kinds of accolades and I, I, you know, awards that have been given to me throughout just my high school career, college career, military career. And I'm really trying to wage war against this Mm. kind of notion that I have to do things, um, quickly and do a lot of them really well uh to be me and so i'm i'm wrestling with this kind of um unspoken identity so it wasn't like i was walking around saying you know this is who i want to be but it it all comes from the fact of deep insecurity like i mean like i was a fat kid growing up i was bullied very harshly Mm. i was abused um as a kid and 
I really didn't start getting noticed until I started excelling in academics. Mm. And then I started getting noticed because I was able to, um, I put a good work ethic out and, and was more mature than my peers and so tended to excel at jobs and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh when you get That's deprived of on. it, when you get deprived of it as a kid, and then you start to get a taste of it as you get older, it kind of like, like, hey, kind of like the feeling of this, and it kind of almost becomes an addiction, right? Of like this ruthless slave master of achievement, uh, which is also ingrained into our society. So that doesn't help because, like, that's the American kind of mindset, right? Is that we can we can do greater things, we can do it better, we can do it faster, we can do it bigger, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, see. and it's rewarded. I mean, sure. if you're if you're the first one, uh, if you do you know, do it the best and the quickest. I mean, those are the, uh, those are the attributes that we look for in people, mm-hmm. especially leaders. Um, and, uh, coming to Iceland, it was a culture shock and I'm still trying to figure it out, um, because <laughs> it's a much slower pace of life, which is delightful, but I'm uncomfortable in it. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it creates in me anxiety. Mm. Um, But more so than anything, uh, what I've seen is that the more plates I am spinning and the more things I'm working on, uh, the less like Christ I am in my character. I'm less Mm. kind. I'm less generous. I'm less patient because people become parts of my process in me achieving a goal Mm -hmm. uh and and it really robs me of presence Mm -hmm. and it just and i I mean good grief in in you know this because of living in dc i mean there's entire pockets of the u.s where that is just the hallmark it's just frantic it's you know 100 miles an hour all the time bouncing from thing to thing to thing um and while you can really build a great successful career that way. And, you know, a lot of things, um, how many people are robbed of peace, mm-hmm. contentment, relationships, depth yeah. of relationships? Well, people aren't happy. I mean, you know, you can, yeah, you can build all that stuff. And, but at the end of the day, you know, you look up and, you know, people, I know in this city, people are so busy, um, you know, and they're so career focused and they're so ambitious. Like there's a guy I know who's working at the Pentagon and, uh, I just feel so bad for this guy because from the outside looking in, you know, he's got like, I mean, he's just excelling right in his career and he's he's at a place in his career where i know like a lot of people would be envious of where he is and mm-hmm. you know like he's got all the accolades he gets you know access to places that very few people in the world get access to and to information that very few people get information to and yet i i know this guy oftentimes you know he leaves before the sun comes up and gets home at 9 10 p.m you know most nights of the week has basically doesn't have a life you know outside of work and and i know he's miserable i know he he hates it and but you know he's got to put on the the front right now and so he's kind of wrestling through like you know where he's at with god and things like that so it's you know it's somebody i've been who's been on my heart a lot lately but you know it's just uh yeah man it's it's crazy um it it really is wild how i can take over so i remember being in canada and we (laughs) we never really got fully adjusted this either because one of the things that would drive us crazy is how like like the customer service is, um, no offense, 
Canadian friends, but the customer service in Canada is not quite on par with what your expectations are when you're in America, because Americans just think a certain way. Like Americans, again, like we were saying, like they're just bigger, better, faster, like, and I do think that other you know, countries and other cultures, while their customer service experience may not be like Chick-fil-A, you know, like standard, yet I think they have some other things figured out that maybe we could do well to learn from as Americans, like like how to be present in the moment, like you were talking about, you know, like there's, I noticed there's a, a higher value placed on time with family amongst Canadians. And, you know, like, Canadians will, you know, they'll just go and they'll spend a couple of weeks up at the cottage up north in the summer and stuff like that and just do a, a lot more leisure time. There's a lot more uh, scheduled uh, like provincial holidays uh, in Canada as opposed to the U.S. And those are differences that we noticed because they seem to value that more. And so I think there's something to that, you know, like it's you kind of, you know, it's kind of going back to our episode last last time. But one of the things you learn about doing ministry abroad is that, oh, maybe as Americans, we don't do everything the best way. And maybe there's other cultures that actually have some things that, you know, figured out that we could learn from. Um, so, you know, that's one of the reasons it's good to travel and it's good to get outside of your, of your own world that you've always known. So, yeah. Yeah. So now that I'll go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I echo that. Like I, I couldn't agree more, uh, especially living here where, they have more vacation days, mm-hmm. more um, days off for sick leave and paternity and things like that. And they, they, they treat work and family life and time differently, um, which is just, yeah, it's, it's something to ponder. It is. You know, you, you get used to just this is what it is. And then you enter into another context and, and it's different. Mm hmm. Definitely. And I, I think this kind of feeds into what we're going to talk about today a little bit as well. You know, our topic, we're going to be talking about depression in ministry. Um, I do think that, uh, so a couple of things to stay like just introductory comments. Um, so this is something that I've thought a lot about, uh, because I myself have walked through depression, um, you know, for really I've struggled with it off and on for my entire adult life and even my teenage years. It's something that I've had seasons of, you know, tremendous struggle with even during, you know, my, my time in ministry. Um, and it's something that I've grown a lot in that God has seen me through and been with me uh, in the midst of it. And it's something that I think I'll, uh, I, you know, I don't, it's not something that God, I mean, he could just remove it from me where I never struggle with it again. I don't believe that is going to happen. Uh, I think this is just kind of something where, uh, you know, I've learned to trust God in the midst of it. Mm. So I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for, especially for pastors, ministry leaders that struggle with this, because I believe that uh, so many are suffering silently um, and don't know who to talk to about it. And I believe that the nature of the way that we do ministry and the very nature of our culture feeds into it. You know, I mean, there's no accident that like anxiety and depression rates have exponentially increased over the last several decades with the alongside the technological advancements as productivity has increased. So has unhappiness, which is very fascinating in America. We're very, we're a lot more productive, but we're also more depressed. And at that, 
that has leaked into the church and into ministry far more than we would like to believe it has. Um, I think even guys who would not fancy themselves as, you know, pragmatists, who would not fancy themselves as, you know, seeker sensitive, attractional, you know, they're not leading attractional churches yet still they struggle and I struggle. I battle this impulse to want to be productive and to always need not always needing to be busy uh, needing to produce results and something we've talked about and I think that is a major factor of what plays into uh, depression so maybe we could talk about that and then we can maybe talk about why it doesn't get dealt with and why mm-hmm. guys suffer silently but w- would you agree Logan with just that being one of the factors that kind of leads to depression in ministry oh absolutely absolutely um You know, anyone who kind of studies the history of technology, especially the advent of digital technology, especially the advent of computers and processors and things that have um, given way to the iPhone and the ability for us to have this conversation. What was interesting is it was these technologies were supposed to make us be more efficient to work less. It was always this idea that, you know, I can do things quicker. So I have more time for leisure and more time for family time and other things. But no, now what we're doing is we're doing three times as much as what our, you know, two or three generations ago would have done. Um, We're always connected. We're, we're, constant communication with people, constant flow of, I mean, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a teenager, you know, maybe you're a 17 year old or you're college freshman, there was a time to where you you had to turn on a a station at certain times on your television to get the news or read a newspaper. Mm -hmm. So 24 hour global news coverage and social media and all this feeds this and then the expectation of the because you can you ought um Mm. and again it's rewarded Uh, so i just see so much of of this being a a product of growing up in a culture where i know what everyone's doing and so i know the people who are more productive i know the people who are seeing better results i know the people who have the ministries or the lives that i covet that I want. Mm -hmm. And then I have, you know, marketers who are trying to tell me that I need this app and people using this app. I remember one day I was talking to someone and they were like, Hey, uh, I'll send you a Marco Polo. And I looked at my phone. I had a folder on my iPhone that had all of these communication apps. And it was, you know, messenger text, WhatsApp, um, Discord, Slack, and I was like, another app? Like another thing? And then someone sent me a a message on Instagram later that day, and I was like, you know what? I'm shutting it down. Mm -hmm. I can't communicate over nine mediums. And so all of this stuff, I think, feeds into this sense of anxiety and depression because Mm -hmm. we just can't keep up. There's an unrealistic pace. And and you talked about... 
Well, you talked about how, and there's an expectation, right? That we should, like, like we should have that productivity output. So like models are upheld for us that like, Hey, this guy did this and these results were produced. And so there's this unspoken expectation that, and if you follow these, you know, steps, you can do this too. And when guys don't, so they work under the pressure of needing to try to, you know, replicate that output and it's exhausting and it's not healthy for their family. It's not healthy for their own personal walks with the Lord. And then when they, you know, inevitably fall short, because most will, because most people are not going to have that, you know, kind of output that you see get celebrated. Then guys think that, you know, it's, they get, I think depression hits, you know, they feel like they're, they're, you know, not meeting expectations, like they're doing something wrong or why isn't God answering my prayer or why isn't God, you know, blessing my ministry. And I do think a lot of that is like driven by, you know, just this cultural mindset that we have of like, we need to excel, we need to produce, we need to achieve. And I think that that's very American of us. And I don't think we realize it because just like a fish doesn't, you know, realize it's wet, you know, it's because a fish swims water. Like we don't realize how I think impacted we are by, uh, you know, that. And so it's so funny. You use that phrase. I was listening to a, uh, a leadership interview from a ministry, um, that we both, I think, are associated with or familiar with, Nine Marks. And it was from 2007, and that was something they were talking about, mm. was, you know, uh, you don't... And they were talking about it in regards to marketing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we don't know how much energy and effort and money and time is spent sending out these, you know, I think there was some reports like 3000 marketable, uh, like objects. So whether it's a, it's a, you know, you were just flooded with these things, not only to tell us that something's wrong with our life and this is what will fix it, mm. but especially in that with social media, um, and the way in which, again, we celebrate, mm-hmm. like the things that we champion, the things we celebrate, the things we reward, those become the aspirations of a generation. It's like, this sure. is what gets you likes. This is what gets you status. This is in the world of ministry. This is what gets you the book deal, the podcast, the speaking engagement, the whatever. Yep. Um, and when, so then we look at what that person's doing and if they're hustling and they're killing it, you know, they, they just look at the output, look mm-hmm. at the the uh, burning the candle at both ends kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, then we, that's what we believe is success. And then when we don't do that, well, what do we think? Yeah. We're failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that when we look at our ministry like that, inevitably it's going to color the way that we look at our relationship with God. Because if you're, if success in ministry is performance based, you're going to start to look at, you know, you're going to start to allow that to seep into, well, the way that God sees me is going to be performance based. Right. And because uh, like, so, Oh dear. Oh dear. Somebody's somebody's upset over there. Yep. So um it's all right. Hey, this is we do not have professional recording studios. We do not pretend to. Uh Logan's cat right now is over his shoulder and I've just been kind of 
uh, quietly amused as I've just watched the cat, you know, kind of chilling out on his little cat castle back there. So this is what we do, right? This is in the yes. trenches. So this is this is real life. We're church <laughs> planters and we're sitting in our kitchens and living rooms and we're just recording this on stuff we bought off Amazon. So, but that's right. Hey, that's right. My- I am getting better at editing sound though. My wife has been teaching me and I'm pretty, I'm actually kind of proud of myself for how I'm getting better at like being able to do all this stuff. I never thought I'd be able to edit sound, but I can do it now. Well, one day you'll have to teach me how to do it. I will. I, I I'm absolutely. just excited that now I'm able to record things like this on GarageBand and know how to export it. That way it doesn't sound like we're having a phone call. There you go. I know. It's been good. The quality's been good. So <clears throat> anyways, uh, I, I think I was talking about um, like we start to see our relationship with God as performance-based. And um, so I think that... Like, man, I'm trying to gather my train of thought again. Um, I think that guys, yeah, I totally forgot where I was going with that. Basic, the point is this, man. Like, the point is that, like, we we start to look at our relationship with God like a performance. And I think that spiritual depression is oftentimes linked to, like, clinical depression. So some certain people I think are prone to clinical depression and like myself and you know, like uh, we're not psychologists and we're not professional counselors. So, uh, but you know, clinical depression typically, you know, like one of the, you know, some of the symptoms are that uh, you're going to have a a loss of enjoyment and things that you would typically, you know, like Uh, you'll wake up and for really no apparent reason, you know, at all, you're just, not going to feel good at all. Uh, you know, things feel gloomy, gray. Uh, you're not able to, a lot of times not able to focus. Uh, you know, everything is colored with a negative light. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of symptoms, but, uh, usually like one of the biggest signs that it's clinical depression is that it's just arrives for no rhyme or reason. Like you just wake Mm. up and you're just like, man, I don't know why, but I am miserable. And that uh, it's, Uh, you know, almost every single time that happens in the life of a believer, it's going to be joined by spiritual depression because whenever we're, uh, you know, like feeling negative and low about ourselves, we're genuinely also going to, you know, equate that with God having a low view of us. And, you know, those, those dark thoughts of condemnation and, you know, self-deprecation come in and, um, it's difficult, I think, you know, during those seasons to really believe that you're a child of God, that, you know, you're valuable just because of who you are, that you're loved by God. And um, I think that pastors and ministry leaders who are constantly working at this breakneck speed of trying to produce uh, can be really susceptible to that. And when they don't produce or when they don't measure up, um, it's can easily lead this slide into depression where you start to really doubt God's love for you and God's favor towards you. How much of that do you think is owed to the more public ministry that I would say pastors have now, even if they're at a small church because of Instagram and Facebook? You mean things like recording a podcast yeah yeah like so here's what i mean by that yeah because now the kind of role that a lot of pastors might think 
in terms of their identity or at least an aspect of their identity is content creation, you know, uh, social media marketing, um, things like podcasts, things like blogs, um, and sermon audio, put it on, you know, Spotify or something like that, like to where now there is, I believe a higher degree of public imagery Mm -hmm. that is in most people's minds as far as who they are as a ministry leader. Sure. Um, And because there's such a public aspect to them, I mean... I think we both know this, that if, you, if you're going to be thinking about, I'm, I'm going to be speaking in public, it's going to be recorded, it's going to be on the internet, there's pressure there. Mm-hmm. There's more pressure to be, you know, I, if I'm having a Bible study with five people in my house and I goof on saying something or I misspeak, I'm not going to be nearly as hard on myself as if I have one shot to have this public recorded on the internet thing. Yeah. Well, we're living under such microscopes now with so much of our lives and ministries being public. How many people think that they can't be anything but okay? Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. like I I have to be the most okay. You know, I, yeah. I feel I feel like I've I've seen this in my own life and I, I know enough pastors to where there's this I'm in the public. I'm kind of the public face of the church Mm -hmm. and I can't not be okay. Right. Like this is, it's out there. Like people see that. And so it, it, yeah. Which is what do you think about? Well, I think that's what leads to so many, you know, pastors, church planners suffering silently because, you know, there is, you know, and you don't have to have a big platform um, to, you know, to fall prey to that where you feel like there's so many, you know, eyes on you and you've got this, uh, you know, kind of persona to uphold, like it's not okay to, to not be okay kind of a deal. Um, I mean, I do think that we, the, the more responsibility you have and the bigger your platform is, I think the more susceptible you can be to that, especially if you're alone, you know, at the top and you don't have like anybody to really check you. And, uh, you're just kind of like the, uh, you know, the top guy in your ministry, the senior pastor, and you know, nobody can really tell you anything. That's a dangerous place to be. But I mean, even, you know, church planters, uh, you know, I think oftentimes feel this need to, um, you know, portray an image and, you know, keep the foot on the gas and not show weakness, not show that, you know, they're not okay. Sometimes it's because they don't, know who to talk to. I think a lot of times, especially in church planting, um, this is by the way, why we advocate, like we would only send out a church planter and a church planting team, a pastoral team. Like we're never going to send out an, a solo church planter and his wife to go plant a church on their own. We would send out two elder quality men and their families together, uh, only like that's, uh, we just, we believe that's so imperative. Uh, and this is one of the reasons it's so imperative is you need somebody else who you can be real with about what's going on in your life. You know, um, like that's one of the first places you should go. If you're ministry leaders, go to your other elders. If you're struggling, um, if you're battling, you know, depression and things like that. And if you don't have that, um, then it's, 
it's difficult to deal with, right? You're just going to have to feel like you got to soldier up and, you know, continue to try to do your best. And uh, the problem's not going to fix itself. It's not going to get better. And you, you said something before we started that I think is so good. Like one of the things people need to understand is that like depression itself is not a sin, even though it can feel sinful because you feel distant from God and you, it's almost like you feel the, you can, I know at times when I've struggled with depression, it's like, I feel the displeasure of God towards me or what feels like the displeasure of God. That's not actually true, but that's what it feels like because I guess there's no joy. Uh, It feels like nothing I'm doing is, is right. It feels like I'm a complete failure. Like I'm, I'm failing at everything I'm doing and I don't deserve anything and I'm not worthy of anything. And so there's this, you know, this overwhelming sense of despair and of really of self-hatred and self-deprecation that can come over you. You and you almost start to, you know, uh, you know. I, I remember having thoughts. It's almost like where it's like God is right to to dislike me. Like it's righteous for Him to hate me. It's righteous for Him to want to cast me away because that's what I deserve. I deserve to be cast away. And we know, like, obviously, like when you are in when you're in that place what i just described you've you're not seeing the gospel actively like you're you're losing sight of the gospel and so i you know but that's i mean that's the reality i i think that of where guys get like i i wanted to read a quote um from uh zach s wine from his book spurgeon sorrows and he's this is what he says about um spiritual depression He says, at its core, spiritual depression concerns real or imagined desertions by God. We feel in our senses that he is angry with us, or we have done something to forfeit his love, or he has toyed with us and left us on a whim. Either way, he exists for others, but not for us. He punishes us with silent treatment. Mm, Um, So good. Yeah, I I was like I remember reading that quote and just being like that is such a great description of what spiritual depression um, is like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's it's one of the things that when I've gone through kind of seasons of spiritual depression, seasons of. Um, just kind of those valleys and seasons of dark, uh, the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. It is so interesting, but not surprising how we really abandon what we know to be true from God's word. Yep. Um, even in the, the day to day of the normal seasons of our life. So if you're a ministry leader or a pastor, or just a normal Christian listening to this. Nothing in the Bible should make us think that the Christian is immune to depression, yeah. to anxiety, That's to good. stress. If anything, the fact that Scripture continues to not only speak to it, uh, and describe what it is. It's because of sin. We live in a fallen world with spiritual forces and a devil attacking us, and we are in sinful flesh, uh, and we're surrounded by people in sinful flesh. 
But we have examples like in the Psalms and other places of people who are dealing with these kinds of dark nights of the soul, crying mm-hmm. out to God in anguish, crying into their pillow and things of that nature. And then in Jesus and the New Testament authors regularly directing you know, encouragement or command towards people about things like anxiety mm-hmm. and stress. Um, and so we, we actually should be quite expectant Absolutely. to be in seasons of depression. Yeah. It's, and that's so huge that you're like, I hope people are listening to what Logan's saying right now, because this is one of the things, this is why whenever somebody feels depressed, it's like they go, well, it's almost like they automatically go, well, it shouldn't be this way if I'm a Christian. If I'm really a child of God, I shouldn't feel like this. So this must mean I'm not a child of God or I'm I'm in danger of, of losing God's favor. So I just hope you're listening to what Logan's saying right now because it's critical that you understand that this is to be expected in the Christian life. Yeah. It is. And, and to the degree that we are so unaware that... We are prone to this. And now, as you have said, there are people who are, you know, uh, especially prone to things like clinical depression and other um, types of mental illness. But we're all susceptible to depression Mm -hmm. because we're all fallen, broken sinners. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the Bible actually lays out this kind of clear picture of all of us. Um, you know, it's kind of like the person who never gets a cold mm-hmm. and they think, well, I don't ever get sick yet, but you do. Yeah. There's not a person on this planet who has never gotten sick, uh, not living, not previously, you know, that could be a conversation to Jesus ever get sick. Uh, but it's like all of us are susceptible to the fallen nature mm-hmm. of the world. And that includes things dealing with our mental and spiritual state. And so the the degree to which we walk about unaware, you know, so we're not we're not introspective. Um, most people who get hit with depression, like you were saying, it's kind of all of a sudden and you, you don't, you know, very few people wake up and go, you know what? I think I'm depressed. Yeah. Most people have to come to the conclusion after wrestling with like, I've just, I don't know what is going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that this, you listening right now, knowing like if you identify I'm susceptible to depression because I'm a fallen sinner will help you identify it rightly. But that's where the church Brothers and sisters around us who are supposed to help minister the word to us, to encourage us. But if they're seeing that there's something, you know, off, some, you know, there's something wrong, then, I mean, we believe in the power, power of prayer. But we also believe that there are some seasons to where you need to go for pastoral counseling, biblical yep. counseling, maybe even clinical mm-hmm. ca- counseling or, or therapy, because... I mean, taking take it from someone who grew up in a really not great environment. Um, there are just scars that some of us do not know are there. Mm-hmm. There are ways in which our formation in a fallen world has affected us. And we have coped because that was kind of our only option 
was we just make the you know make the best of the situation you know doesn't help to complain doesn't help to cry no one's there but in in our false sense of invincibility or invulnerability we've now kind of gotten to a place to where we we think that well that would never happen to me well yep. I'm fairly certain most people when they get depressed thought that at least maybe the first round of it that well that wouldn't happen to me but christians need to live with some sort of understanding that no it can happen to anyone because if we don't then you pastor you christian leader you're going to think that if anyone should be immune it's you mm-hmm. and if you are a church member and you're listening to this and you're going to think, well, the more holy you are, the more Christian you are, the more professional of a Christian you are, then you should never do this. We're going to stigmatize it. Yeah. We're going to make it impossible for someone who's struggling with depression or anxiety or any type of fear or trauma to share yeah. because they're just not going to feel like anyone is listening. They're going to feel judged like they're a subpar Christian. And if they're in leadership, they're going to think that, well, I mean, what does this disqualify me? Am I able to lead now that the cat's out of the bag? And, and I've actually put words to the fact that, hey, I'm struggling with depression. Mm-hmm. I, I have bipolar. I'm having panic attacks. I mean, do we as Christians expect of our Christian leaders perfection? We would never say that, but are we making our churches a safe place for us to talk about our brokenness? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that leaders need to do is lead by example and be, you know, open and vulnerable about their own, you know, weaknesses uh, so that they don't, you know... um, you know, like unknowingly create an environment where nobody else feels safe to talk about stuff like that. You know, it's one of the things that I have tried to do and model as a pastor is be open about my, you know, battles with depression. And, you know, and because of that, it's actually been cool because I've gotten the chance to minister to a lot of people who've come to me. I get emails like I just was emailing with a, a lady from across the country who <laughs> heard one of the things we did, uh, we were doing a thing called Theology Thursday um, earlier this year, early on in COVID, and and one of the other pastors at, at our church and I, and uh, we talked about depression, and she heard it, and she, you know, uh, emailed me and, and was just basically confiding that, you know, she's been really struggling, and so I was able to, you know, encourage her and pray for her, and, you know, so it's just, it's cool to be able to do things like that, and, you know, we ought to be doing those things with our church members, uh, you know, first and foremost, they ought to be able to feel like they can come to us, and I mean, it, it's just so good to realize, like, even some of my, you know, uh, there's plenty of examples in the Bible about, you know, like godly men and women who struggled with, you know, depression and spiritual depression. And there's examples throughout church history, uh, you know, like the Psalms are filled with, you know, like godly people crying out to God in <laughs> spiritual depression. Uh, and, uh, you know, Elijah, you know, like right after one of his greatest you know, like spiritual moments of, you know, defeating the prophets of Baal, he's like, you know, ready to give up and ask God to just kill him. And, you know, Jeremiah was like, you know, wished he had never been born and was so discouraged in his ministry and so discouraged in his preaching and teaching ministry and how everybody was rejecting him and there was no fruit. And he was just like, I just wish I'd never been born, you know, and like how, how many of us can identify with feeling like that at times. And then I even think about, 
like Charles Spurgeon, you know, uh, like, you know, he said things like, he wrote things like, you know, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child. And yet I knew not what I wept for. Just, mm. he would just go into these, you know, fits of depression where he would be miserable and just beside himself and didn't know why, you know? And so I like, just, the point is, is that these are, you know, people who love the Lord. Um, but man, it was, it was hard, you know, it's like Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And like the Christian life is a fight. Oftentimes it's a fight to believe it's a fight to believe the gospel, to to keep your eyes fixed on the gospel, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And, uh, you know, when there's, uh, you know, a hundred different things that are trying to pull you away, whether it's temptations and distractions or whether it's, you know, lies of, of condemnation and, and spiritual depression that are, you know, trying to, you know, fix, take your eyes off of the promises, uh, in the gospel, um, you know, it's, it's a war, right? It's, it's quite literally a spiritual war. So, yeah. Well, and again, it, I, I really want to challenge anyone listening to this and I'm, I'm being challenged with this. I mean, I'm coming out of a season where I've just been very overwhelmed, um, and not, kind of not aware of what a lot of my sinful patterns were doing to other people um, and couldn't see it because I was just so busy. And because, you know, sometimes we just, we don't, I mean, we don't know how, the way in which we grew up or the things that were normal when we were growing up or or, our story of origin, how it affects us. Um, And we as Christians, especially those of us who truly believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. It is all of scripture is God breathed. We know better. I mean, and not saying we have all the answers on depression. No, but we know a few things to be completely true. One, we're broken. Two, there is a devil. Three, the world is fallen. And the when we ignore spiritual warfare, when we ignore our own sins, when we ignore when others sin against us, um, and, and we just, you know, think that we're stronger than what we are, um, it, we create this kind of, uh, I use this image talking to someone kind of about this season I'm going through. It's like this barrel of toxic waste mm-hmm. that is just there dripping onto the ground. And what most of us do is we go and we brick up around it. It's just unsightly. Like we, we okay, well, now no one knows that it's there. But it's like, but it's dripping into the groundwater. Mm-hmm. It's going to have an effect. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't talk about these things because maybe we're ashamed. You know, how many of us deal with shame of things that we've done or were done to us? How many of us are afraid of what people will think of us? Um, how many of us are afraid of of this image that we have that we've portrayed to someone or some group of people for so long that image being d- 
destroyed or, or tainted or, or tattered. Um, and we're afraid of the consequences. You know, we, we, we think that if we keep going and we don't talk about it, if we just, you know, discipline ourselves, if we, you know, maybe we read a book, maybe we read a podcast, maybe we just pray a little bit longer, um, that it'll go away. And we don't actually do the hard soul work of going to God in just deep prayer and going to other people and, and telling them what we're going through and having them, you know, walk possibly for a really long time with us. Uh, I mean, that's some of this is just the part of being a sanctif you know, a person being sanctified. Yeah. That part of becoming like Jesus is becoming more whole since he sure. is the most whole human. Sure. And that involves healing. And because you know, earlier we said that depression is not sinful. It's not a sin. But it can lead to sin, right? If it, if it doesn't get dealt with, like you said, if you know, using your analogy of like the you know the toxic waste, right? Like if we don't deal with it, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna find unhealthy ways to cope with it um, that you know can you know become destructive, right? Like depression can lead to things like self pity, right? Where you kind of just get into this habit of, you know, woe is me, you know, always, you know, this constant cycle of feeling sorry for yourself. It's, and while, and, and we can even cloak it in humility, we can cloak self pity and humility and we can sound like we're humble, but you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and self pity is actually not humble at all because it's completely self-centered. You're just thinking about yourself the whole time and you're not thinking about others anymore. You're not serving others. It's, you know, you're navel gazing. Um, mm. And then, you know, uh, depression can lead to a minimization of God's graces and a lack of gratitude. It, it fails to recognize all the good things that God has done for us over time, you know, and like, and so we've got to be like, like uh, one of the ways we fight depression is by, is by reminding ourselves of what's true in God's word, reminding ourselves of his promises, reminding ourselves of his faithfulness and how he has, you know, even though you might not feel it right now, God is faithful and, you know, he's kept his promises and he's going to continue to keep his promises. Remember and rejoice in the things that he's done um, and how he's been there and he's delivered you over and over again. Um, you know, depression can also... I think one of the other unhealthy ways or one of the unhealthy, you know, results of depression can be that, you know, you can be tempted to turn to idols um, or, you know, to worldly solutions to alleviate the pain. Um, you know, that might look like, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of the moral failures, you know, of pastors specifically when it comes to their sexual lives, oftentimes start in that place. They're struggling, uh, going through a difficult season in life, nobody to talk to about it, uh, feeling like they need to uphold this image. And so they start indulging in secret sin, um, as a way to cope, as a way to, uh, try to, you know, make themselves feel better. And all they have now they're, they're creating this you know, combustible situation that at some point it's going to explode all over them and it's going to be really bad. Um, it's going to be, it's going to devastate their family. It's going to devastate their ministry. So like, I mean, like if that's you and you're listening right now and you're, 
dealing with depression in an unhealthy way, I think like the first thing you need to do is you need to find somebody and you need to tell them everything, (laughs) somebody that you can trust. Like you got to get it out. You can't just, uh, you can't keep it in. You can't make, you can't keep secrets. Like, because the longer you do, uh, the more they're going to grow and the harder they're going to get to deal with and the more destruction they're going to wreak, you know, like using, going back to Logan's, you know, uh, analogy, the more uh, toxic waste is going to leak into, you know, the water. And so you've got to deal with it. And uh, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people in ministry, a lot of Christians, um, walk around being willing to share most of what's going on in their life, but there's like this 5% that, and you know what it is if it's you, there's this, that one thing that happened or that one part about your past or that one part about, you know, the, 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 that one area of your life where you have these dark thoughts that you've never really told anybody and you never really talk about, um, like being able to like, talk about those things and recognize like that's why the body of Christ exists is number one, we should feel safe taking those things to God and knowing that when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not going to be met with condemnation. We're going to be met with grace. And number two, that extends to the church in a, uh, if you don't have any Christian in your life, that you feel like would meet you with grace, but I bet you do. I bet you you that you do. Uh, everybody listening here, I am almost certain has somebody that uh, you know will meet you with grace if you were to take you know something in your life to them. But if you don't, you can email Logan or I, and we'll jump on the phone mm-hmm. with you, and we'll meet you with grace. I can promise you that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I would encourage you go to your fellow elders, or if you don't have fellow elders. Go to another pastor at, you know, another church, maybe in a mentor or something like that. You got to go to somebody and you got to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because whatever that thing is, so if it's 95% you'll share that 5%. Um, if you're a Christian, that thing that you don't want to talk about, Jesus died for it. Mm-hmm. He died to redeem it. If it's a sin that you've committed, Jesus' blood has cleansed you of that sin. If it was a sin that was committed against you and you're afraid of what people will think of you because of it, in the eyes of God, you are a child. You, he, he delights in you and you've been adopted by the Holy Spirit And, you know, you are not whatever that is. And we've got to get to a point to where we are less concerned about what people think about us and more concerned with embracing how God does think about us. Amen. It's we, we who are Christians are children of God. Whether we act like children is one thing, but we are. And walking in that manner, walking as children of God, that, that freedom that Christ paid for um, on the cross, 
and that redemption, that rescue is not just from our sins, but it's also from the harm that's been done to us from sin. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, you know, and I, I just know there are going to be people who are listening to this who have been subjected to all kinds of sin, um, whether that was emotional or physical that have been abused um, and pro- possibly in ways that they're just not comfortable talking to people about because of the negative stigma of thinking that once I say this, I, I can't take it back and want, and people will know this about me and people will look at me different and, and hear me say, God already knows the depth of who you are. He knows all of your sins. He knows every sin that was committed against you. And he loves you. Mm-hmm. He loves you. And in Christ, you have been forgiven and set free. And this burden that we're walking around with, with wanting to be somewhat known, but not all the way known, living in fear of what other people will think of us, living in fear of other people hurting us and, and not wanting to be vulnerable. We're robbing ourselves of this inexpressible joy that doesn't necessarily come from humans, but it's through humans loving us as Christ has loved us. That whole John 13, 34, 35, love, we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. And that includes accepting all of all of us. The dark parts that we we're scared to share, those are the very things that Jesus wants to redeem. He Amen. wants to, and, and so I, I just, you know, I'm, <laughs> this is something that I'm also equally passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we have a very um, large fear of people. And I think that true brothers and sisters in Christ or we are to transcend that kind of low level, you know, reaction and we thinking that a person, whatever they did, I mean, that's just, Jesus has forgiven it, whatever it is. And, and that's what Christians, Christian love is supposed to be within the context of the church to where if someone comes to you and just confesses the most heinous of sins Mm -hmm. or, you know, just pours their soul out, you just love them like Christ. You just love them. You pray with them. You weep with them. You walk with them uh, through that season of darkness, re-administering the word the whole time. Remind them of who they are in Christ. Remind them whose they are. They belong to King Jesus, that they've been bought with a price and that they're precious in God's eye. You reassure them. And don't think that you can only, you know, give the the Sunday school answer, the Bible verse and be like, here's a Bible verse. Meditate on this. No, like don't have an expectation. This will be quick, but do not let people go at this alone. And if you are trying to go at this alone, please don't. Yeah. They're. There are people that God's put around you that are supposed to be walking with you through this season. They're supposed to be weeping deeply with you Mm. and carrying this burden. 
That's good. And uh, we'll put some uh, some resources up on uh, the show notes and also on the website that you can go uh, check out. There are, uh, like, obviously, you should be walking through this with your uh, with your church family. Um, and, I mean, that's what your, uh, your fellow elders are there for if you're a ministry leader or if you're just, you know, a church member, if you're a Christian listening to this. Like, that's why you're part of the body of Christ. You're not meant to walk through this alone. Uh, there are times when, uh, you know, biblical counseling is good and appropriate. Uh, I've utilized biblical counseling in my life, and it's been very beneficial to me. Uh, to You know, uh, biblical counselors are a gift to the church. I'm thankful for them. Um, and so uh, we'll, we've got a couple of uh, recommendations of some organizations that we think do a really good job of that uh, that we'll put on the website as well and also just some resources as far as like books to read um, resources to check out um, that may be of uh, benefit of help and always also always uh, you're welcome to reach out to myself or to Logan and we'd be happy to uh, to talk with you more about this and encourage you and pray with you um, it would be definitely our honor and our joy to to do that with you um, we pray this uh, this episode has been an encouragement to you guys we could definitely talk about it a lot more it's a big topic big subject um like, like i said at the beginning of the episode it's something i've thought a lot about um but we're gonna have to wrap it up for uh today uh, we are gonna be back with another episode of in the trenches next monday uh if this podcast has been helpful to you if it's been beneficial to you we'd really appreciate it if you would do us a big favor and first of all subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review uh leave us a written review with a five-star rating and the more written reviews we get and the more ratings we get um then the more often we're going to show up when people search for church planting and church planting podcasts and uh so if if you think that we could benefit other church planters, other ministry leaders, then please do that. And that'll help get this podcast into uh, the hands of more, more ministry leaders and church planters. So I want to thank you guys again for tuning in. And we will see you next Monday. Until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planters. Church planters.